0: I'm glad to be here today and to share God's Word. I'm going to read to you from the book of Galatians, and chapter 3, and I'm going to read several of the verses there in Galatians. Galatian is Galatian uh, is a region, Galatia was a region, and when uh, the Apostle Paul was writing, it was to a number of churches who were all in this region, hence it's written to the Galatians. And in writing in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you or put a spell on you, that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit By the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that ye are now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, Doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Amen. And we know God will bless the reading of his word. We're going to unite in prayer for a moment together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy and grace and kindness. And we come, Lord, to seek your face today, to ask for your help. And we pray, Lord, that you would just cover and protect us by your precious blood. We pray that you would put a wall around us. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would draw near to us and speak into our hearts and minds. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us after yourself and that in all things in our lives that we would desire to honor, uplift, and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I come to you and I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would Gently but powerfully speak into all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This message that I'm going to speak to you this morning, I have spoken before. And so I try as uh, best I can not to replicate preaching in the same venue. But I have preached this before in this particular hall. I think it was in the midweek rather than the Sunday morning. But the reason why I'm doing that is because I was at a prayer meeting on Friday night, and I hadn't been thinking or praying about the meeting. But while a brother in the Lord was praying in the prayer meeting, the Lord very clearly spoke to me in my heart. And he said to me that I was to preach this this morning, So that's the reason why I'm going to speak this old message to you today. And I have enough confidence and faith to believe that if God tells you to do something, it's because God wishes to say something. And I have no doubt that there is some person or persons here today that God wants to speak to your heart. And he wants to help you. And he wants to meet need in your life. You see, the passage that we have read together in Galatians was to a church. Or churches, rather. They were all converted people. They had experienced salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. They all were aware of their salvation. They had a hunger and desire for the word of God. There were many things about the Galatians that were complementary and certainly they were a church uh, that had an understanding and comprehension of salvation by faith. But interestingly in chapter 3 Paul begins to rebuke them and he calls them foolish. And the reason he calls them foolish is because the apostle as a spiritual doctor could diagnose that there was something wrong with the believers in Galatia. It was not evident to them, but it was evident to him. He could see what the church could not see, and the reason why he could see it was because the Holy Spirit, who knows all things, had revealed to Paul that this was a problem in the church. Paul did not ignore the problem, nor did he uh, decide to just put it under the carpet rather than aggravate or annoy anybody. But rather, Paul took the approach under the leading of the Spirit to bring to the attention of the church that they were, they were bewitched. They were under a spell That the devil had done something over the church. And what he had done was he had moved them from a place of faith to a place of works. To use language that many of us are familiar with, they became legalistic. A legalistic person... Or a person who is under the influence of legalism is a person who is taken up with the externals, but not so much interested in the internals. A person under the influence of legalism is taken up with dress, taken up with the type of Bible we use. Taken up with all the things that we see in the external now i 'm not saying these things aren 't important. I mean the Bible does say that we have to dress modestly, but that 's all it says it doesn't go into detail with with the uh, length of an item or the particular type of clothing or whether there's a tie or not a tie. I mean, that, that, that's not in the Bible, but, but, but we can get taken up with things like that. That's, that's legalism. And legalism became a problem. Now, having, having uh, specific views on external issues is not a problem. Providing you don't implement it on everyone else. You see, what happens when a person is legalistic, they they do it as they see it to be done. But then they expect everybody else to do it that way as well. And if people don't do it that way, then you're not right with God. Because I am doing it right. If you want a full understanding of the depth and the uh, depravity of legalism, then you should read and study the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees loved the Bible. The Pharisees prayed. The Pharisees pursued holiness as they saw it the Pharisees maintained the Sabbath day. From a distance, the Pharisees looked really good people. But when you got in close on them, you could see that they weren't remotely good at all. Jesus pointed out, he said, that they were like painted sepulchers. Look so good on the outside, but full of dead men's bones on the inside. And when we are under the spirit and influence of legalism, that's what happens. One of the primary traits of legalism, if you ever want to watch out for others having it, or if you ever more importantly want to consider if you or I have it, then look at how you treat people. You see, whenever the Pharisees saw Jesus working miracles, they became extremely angry. When the woman was taken in adultery, they wanted to stone her. You see, that's the approach. It's always the law. It's always kill. It's always put the person down. It's tramping over them. It's that real negative, destructive influence. Whereas Jesus Christ went about lifting people, helping people, having compassion on people. So different. Legalism doesn't have love. And you know there are denominations in our province today and fellowships, And they are heavily influenced by legalism. And the one thing about legalism is that it cannot coexist with the love of God. They can't coexist together. And so this is the problem that Paul was approaching and uh, bringing to the church at Galatia. He said, you've become legalistic and he He really wants to point out the root of the problem and he goes back to their conversion. He said, whenever you got converted, he said, did you come to the Lord by keeping laws, keeping rules, keeping the commandments? Was it by doing and keeping that you came to God, into a relationship with God? Or was it by an act of faith? Where God supernaturally came into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit? He said, which was it? And the answer is evident, it's self-evident, that they never came to the Lord through keeping laws, through keeping the commandments. It was by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ that they supernaturally were born again or regenerated. And what he's saying to them, he said, you're... You're so foolish. Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Here's the problem. He said you started out with the foundation led so well. But he said the building structure of your life is not good. And Paul says it has to be dealt with. This is what Paul said the same as... um, Later preachers, if if you read some, I remember the late Leonard Ravenhill saying, if your life is not supernatural, then it is superficial. And that's what Paul's saying. The Christian life is a life of supernatural. It is natural for God to supernaturally break into your life. It should be the norm (coughs) for the believer For the supernatural to be happening regularly in their life, where they can attribute to God things that are otherwise impossible, where whether it's an answer to prayer, whether it's God's provision, in some way that they see God at work in their life supernaturally. I want to speak for a little time this morning on barriers to God's blessing in our lives. You see, Paul here was making it clear that there were barriers to God's blessing on the lives of the church churches in Galatia. He said, you have become bewitched. A spell has been brought upon you. The first thing I want to point out to you is the barrier of ignorance. The barrier of ignorance. There are many people today who will go to a place of worship. They will go through some kind of ritual or formula. And they will come out assuming that all is well and that now they have gone to church and they're now right with God but they are ignorant. Paul, speaking of his life prior to his conversion, he said, everything that I did prior to coming to Christ, I did it in ignorance and in unbelief. And so, as believers, we can be ignorant. And the only way that that ignorance can be broken is by a comprehension of, An obedience, a yieldedness to the word of God. A constant reading. A constant taking in the truth of God's word. You remember the children of Israel that whenever they were in the wilderness, that they went out every day other than the Sabbath. They went out every day and they gathered manna for food. Every day they were gathering. And it's important in your life that you gather the manna of God's word daily. The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The truth of God's word has a sanctifying or a cleansing power on our hearts when we read it. And so whether we're young in the faith or whether we have been on the journey many years, we must consistently be absorbing, reading, studying, meditating, memorizing the word of God. Hosea said, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. We see here in the text that ignorance of God and his word brings destruction. My people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. One thing I have observed over many years as a Christian, both as a preacher and also in ministering to people virtually every day of my life, is that there are many areas of ignorance in the church. Many areas of ignorance regarding barriers to the Christian life. I find many people who desire to some degree to follow the Lord Jesus. They truly want to be their best for him. They want their gifts to come forth. They want to, they want to hear the well done from the master. And in many cases, they have tried their best sincerely. They've read their Bible. They have gone to meetings. They have done everything that they felt was right and been sincere and earnest in it. But so often they have been tripped and they have fallen either into sin or discouragement, or some other tool, or weapon, or snare that the enemy has used. And as a result, they have either come under condemnation, or else they have come under unbelief, or else they have come under a state of disillusionment, where they just feel, it obviously works for the pastor, but it'll never work for me. And so many people are under these clouds as Christians. And very often the reason is because of ignorance. You see, when we are ignorant of God's word, then we don't know really the primary objectives, desires, thoughts of God, because that's how we know who God is. He reveals what he thinks, what he says, Through his word. But then we have the added benefit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. And when he comes into our hearts or our lives at conversion. He comes into our spirit and he makes our spirit alive. And our spirit has various senses. Just as our physical body has five senses of touch and taste. And, and uh, sight and hearing and so on. So our spirit has senses as well. And these senses are brought to life at conversion. But then they have to be matured. They have to develop so that we get to know God better. And if our spiritual senses and our spirit is not developed, then what can happen, and I fear does happen in many evangelical churches for the reasons i've already outlined is that people become extremely good when it comes to the bible in other words they're largely working on their external senses they they get to know the bible because they're using their intellect and that's important but god doesn't primarily ever speak to our intellect god speaks to our spirit If our spirit is not developed, then our knowledge of God will be greatly impaired. And what I mean by knowledge of God is not a knowledge from biblical text. I mean a knowing of God. I mean a knowing of God's presence. I mean a knowing of God in prayer and becoming aware of his voice. A knowing of God when he prompts and says, I want you to do something. And so that comes through our spirit. As the Holy Spirit indwells us, he prompts our spirit. And the more our spirit is enlarged and developed, then the more we will know God. Many years ago when I went to the Faith Mission Bible College in Edinburgh... On the prospectus, there was a little statement, and I've never forgotten it. It said, as you come to this college, it is both to know the word of God and the God of the word. Many Christians are relatively familiar with the word of God, but not with the God of the word. You see, I regularly meet Christians who, as I said, have desire after God. But if you say to them, Do you know what it is to wait in God's presence to hear his voice? And so often the thing is they said, I would love to have that. But that doesn't happen in my life. I don't know that at all. You're talking a foreign language to me, Alan. I don't understand that. And I always know when a person says that there's a barrier to the Holy Spirit. There's a barrier to their human spirit Being released to know God. The enemy has something in the way. And I want to quickly run down through them with you. The first one we have alluded to is unbelief. Unbelief. The Bible talks in Hebrews chapter 3, 12 and 13. Of having an evil heart of unbelief. You remember the story of Kadesh Barnea. You remember the children of Israel had come through the wilderness and God was desiring and longing to bring them into Canaan. God had such desires and love for his people, but he needed their cooperation. He needed them to yield to him and to obey him and to trust in him. And so although they had been washed by the blood of the Lamb, had come through the waters of baptism, and had come right across the wilderness to this wonderful country that we call Israel today, as God brought them to that place, Kadesh Barnea, they turned back. And they wouldn't go into the land. But the Bible tells us that there were two men out of that couple of million people who would get in. Caleb and Joshua. And the Bible says that the reason why those two men got in is because they had a different spirit. They had a different spirit. The Bible says that they wholly followed the Lord. You see, they didn't suffer from unbelief. And they were able to go into the land, even though there were giants and obstacles and difficulties and fears. They were able to go in because they believed that God was in control. But all the others could see the obstacles and difficulties. And so unbelief took took a different hold of them. And they were controlled not by a spirit like Joshua and Caleb, but rather a spirit of unbelief. And it barred them from blessing. And as a believer, unbelief can bar you from blessing. I was speaking to a friend of mine just this week, and he was telling me the story of many years ago how he led a lady to the Lord. An evangelist in his church had been preaching. The evangelist had preached very powerfully, and a woman remained behind and wished to come to the Lord. The well-known evangelist, if I said his name, you would all know him. That well-known evangelist got down beside this woman and began to counsel her. After 20 minutes, he came to my friend and he said, I'm beaten. He said, that woman wants to be saved and she can't be saved. He said, I have no idea what's wrong. And my friend told me, he said, it was from God. He said, it certainly wasn't my wisdom, but I had read a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Martin Lloyd-Jones had said there are occasions when people attempting to go forward, whether into conversion or going forward with God, that they can have a spirit of unbelief. And it needs to be thrown or cast out before that person can really believe God. And he said, I went over to that woman and I said to her, I believe God has shown me what your problem is. He said, would you be willing to repent for unbelief. She said, I certainly will. And immediately she repented for unbelief. He said, just like that, she was able to come to Christ. And in a matter of moments, she was born again, and she's still following the Lord. Unbelief is a very powerful tool for holding back our spirit and keeping us restricted from getting into where God wants us to be. I, on a number of occasions, have witnessed people who desired to go forward and desired to grow in their faith. And no matter how they tried and no matter what tools they used, they seemed to feel. In fact, the enemy so got a hold of their hearts that you nearly could tell just by their language that unbelief had got a hold of them. The language of a person in unbelief is that, well, God never does that for me. I'll never get through. I'll never be free. I'm always God doesn't get. You see, friends, that's the language of a heart of unbelief. And if you have a heart of unbelief today, you need to bring that to God and you need to repent before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for an evil heart of unbelief. I pray that, Lord, you would deliver my heart, that you would come and you would fill my heart with faith. You see, friends, God can give you faith. He can give you the ability to believe what is impossible. God can do that. Do you remember Stephen, the first deacon that was chosen in the early church? The Bible describes him as a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. Faith is a gift from God. And if your faith is greatly restricted in ways that I've mentioned, you need to bring it to God and repent. And God will impart to you faith to believe him. It is so important because, you see, if there isn't faith, if faith is bound, if faith is constrained, then the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can dress well. We can have the correct uh, interpretation of the Bible. We can be thoroughly orthodox and evangelical. And yet our hearts can be in unbelief and God could be looking down over us and saying, there's so much I would love to do for you. There's so much I would love to do in your life, in your family, with your children. But oh, you've got a heart of unbelief. Jesus came to the region where he was brought up and the Bible said he was amazed at their unbelief. And he could not, Jesus could not do many miracles because of their unbelief. I don't fully understand that, but it makes clear to me in the Bible that our faith and trust in God relates as to what God will do in our lives, in our homes, and in our churches. You see, friends, God is a God of the supernatural, and supernatural should be normal to the Christian life. Unbelief is a great barrier. Unconfessed sin is another great barrier. The Bible says he that covereth his sin shall never prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes his sin shall have mercy. God is so kind, so willing, so desirous to forgive. We often forget, especially when we're under condemnation and the devil tells us we're no use. We have failed the Lord. And even though you come back in earnestness and pray all your heart to God, the devil always whispers in your ear and tells you, no, you're not good enough. You'll never be able to press through with God because of the type of person you are, because of the secret sin that is in your life, because of something you have done in the past that he brings back like a tidal wave over your life. I want to tell you, my dear friends, if you want to see the nature of God and what God is like, then read uh, Luke's gospel and you'll discover the story of a prodigal son, a man who's coming back to his father and has wasted everything has spent all and deserves nothing. And as he's coming back, a father representative of the God of heaven, that father comes running to his son. And I want to tell you this morning that God is watching out for you. I want to tell you that God wants to help you. God wants to lift you. God wants to bring freedom into your life where you have never had freedom. God wants to enable you to pray in the way that you feel you want to pray and should pray. God wants to help you in that area. God wants to help you to be the witness that you desire to be. In every one of those areas, God wants to help you. But he needs you to be willing to confess all sin. To bring everything to the light friends in order to get freedom sometimes you have to be general as a christian sometimes you have to be very specific with sin it can depend but the more specific with sin you are in the presence of god the better in bringing that which needs to be brought to god for cleansing you all know if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me point out sometimes that there are Christians, what I'm alluding to here, I know you have heard this all before. And you say, Alan, I have done that. I, 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 I understand that concept and I, I hold to that and I do that. Well, thank God. But you may also discover, and I have met many people who have done that, and they say, Alan, I'm still bound. I'm still bound. I'm still limited. I'm still not knowing God as I should. I'm still not breaking through to God. I'm not getting help in prayer. I'm not sensing his presence or an awareness of being in the center of his will. Those things are all foreign to me, Alan. Well, sometimes the reason is not because of unconfessed sin, but because of brokenness in your life. You see, Jesus came, the Bible says, to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up all their wounds. And on the journey of life, we get wounded. On the journey of life, we get hurt. We can have traumatic experiences. We get night terrors from them. We get flashbacks. We get reoccurring dreams because we, we can't just get over the things that have happened. Very often when Christians have these experiences, the church has very little to say to them. I have come to recognize that this is one of the very important areas that Satan uses to prevent blessing in the life of a Christian, when they are broken or wounded, you see, friends, Jesus came to save our soul. We all understand that, but He came to heal the broken-hearted. Many assume that salvation heals a broken heart, as in when you're born again, everything's done and dusted. I say to you, that's not true. It is possible that a person could be totally healed and brought together and fixed. The term for broken means fragmented, like a glass dropped on the ground and the pieces everywhere. It is possible at conversion that that could come together, but uh, in all the cases I ever met, it, that wasn't the case. You see, when we get hurts and traumas in our life, we generally don't know what to do with them. And so we bury them. We just push them down inside. And we push them down and keep pushing them down. And we manage. We manage. And we do all these other exercises spiritually by going to church and doing all the things that we're meant to do. But this sense of God's presence, this intimacy with God, this is a foreign language to us. And very often God will cause these things to keep recurring in our hearts. He'll cause us to have flashbacks. I have had more people have said to me, I believe the devil's after me. The devil's bringing back things from the past. And when they explain what it is, I say, that's not the devil, that's God. God is bringing up things that are inside you. Poisons that have got inside you, hurts that were down deep and they have turned poisonous and and, and they're just, they're just destroying and over time they begin to spill out and then you begin to hurt people. You begin to say things and do things that you shouldn't do. And you begin to behave in ways that are not remotely Christian. And you hardly understand why you're doing it. It's because there's deep brokenness in you. And Jesus has come to heal the brokenhearted, And I have had the wonderful privilege. And I think I have the right to speak on this subject for uh, plenty of experience. But I have the privilege of watching multitudes of people who were desperately trying to go forward with Jesus and they could not break through and they had confessed their sins until they couldn't find another sin to confess and yet they still made no progress. And then God began to reveal to them the terrible hurts in their life where they were abused, maybe sexually, Maybe physically, maybe verbally. And that's still in there. I have watched men 50, 60 years of age sitting weeping as God began to heal them of hurts that happened when they were with their father. Or when they were with their mother and events that happened in their lives. As God the Holy Spirit would come and bring ministering to their spirit to heal them. So that they can begin to sense God and feel his warmth and love. You see friends, God says my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. Not only do we need forgiven, but we need healed. My friend David Leg wrote a little book recently called Sins, Wounds and Demons. It's a little book, but it really focuses on this point that I've just mentioned. And I've met a number of people who have been wonderfully helped. They said, I had no idea that this could be my problem. I had no idea that this was the root." And when I read the little book and I prayed the prayers at the end, God began to work in my life. God began to bring healing to me. Very quickly, not only is there unbelief and unconfessed sin, but there is also unforgiveness. I know of nothing. From personal experience and that of praying with people and in ministry, I know of nothing that hinders God working in the life more than unforgiveness. I have sat on many occasions in my study with people who have come with deep needs in their hearts, with issues that they desperately needed resolved and they wanted God to help them. And I have been aware of what was needed in their life and how that God would bring healing to them. I was so confident. And yet on every occasion, bar none, when those people were prayed with, nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. And in every case, I discovered that those people carried unforgiveness. My friend, unforgiveness will sever you off from the blessing of God. If there are persons or an individual that you have not forgiven, I want to tell you that you are not under the blessing of God. I want to tell you on the authority of God's word in Mark 11 and in Matthew 18. You can look them up at your leisure That you actually will be spiritually afflicted. Unforgiveness is a form of spiritual suicide. You you perform spiritual suicide when you carry unforgiveness. There may be a person in the past that you carry unforgiveness and bitterness to. There may be a person that's already dead. I remember a lady coming to see me on one occasion, and she had been abused. It was an awful story of being abused as a child by an elder in a church. And this this girl's life had just gone off the rails from childhood, and she became a terrible person. She lived an awful life, but it all stemmed back to what this elder done to her in the church. It all went back to that. And she told me, she said, Alan, I remember taking a hammer. And she said, I carried the hammer in a bag to the cemetery. And she said, I had every intention of taking that mallet out. And she said, banging it into the name of that man, that elder who had got such a wonderful funeral. And who had been elevated as a great Christian. When in fact he was a child abuser within the church. Evangelical by the way. My dear friends. That woman had to get to the place of forgiveness. Before God healed her. I remember the first time I said to her about forgiveness. She said, I can't do it. I could pray it now in front of you, but I would never mean it. I said, that's no use. It's got to be real. It's got to be from your heart. You've got to mean it. You've got to ask God to help you. I know it's very hard, but I'm going to leave you. And you've got to go and sort that out with God. But I want to tell you, you'll make no progress. You'll never be free. You'll never know Jesus the way you want to until you forgive And after time, as she asked God for help, eventually God gave her the grace and she got free. You see, my dear friends, unforgiveness will paralyze your Christian life and it will open you to what the Bible calls the tormentor's demonic spirits which have the legal right to come and torment you and cause anxiety and fear and depression and bring every manner of mental torment into your life, they have the legal right once you carry the unforgiveness. You say, but they haven't repented. They haven't said they're sorry. You've got to leave that with God. My friend, it's not about them. We're not talking about what the person has done. What we're talking about is you being free. If you forgive that person before God, it doesn't mean you run and put your arms around them. It doesn't mean that you run and hug them. They have to earn that right back if they ever want a friendship with you again. We're not talking about the relationship with the person. We're talking about you getting into a right relationship with God unforgiveness. As I draw to a close there are two other areas and perhaps less known but very, very real today. And one of them is where an individual or their family have been involved in anything in the occult. Occult mainly simply means hidden or dark. People who have been hypnotized. You should never open your mind under any circumstances to anything, only God and the scripture. Never let your mind go blank. This past week I was talking to a lady in her 50s. And she told me when she was a child at seven, God had brought this up in order to bring freedom into her life. And she said, when I was a child of seven, I went to a school with or a a, a location with adults and others. And she said, they told me as I was sitting in a particular posture doing yoga. She said, I sat there and God showed me that's where something entered me many people say today there's nothing wrong with it you know it's it's just an exercise i don't want to go into yoga this morning but i want to tell you that all these various methods of medicine or physical healing many of them have come from the east from china from asia And they're absolutely nothing to do with physical welfare or to do with your mind or to do with your physical body or health. It's entirely spiritual. Whether it was yoga or acupuncture or any of these things, now many of them have a white coat over them. They say, oh, the doctor's doing it. Doesn't mean because the doctor's doing it that it's right. Doesn't mean because the doctor says it's a good practice or you see it at the side of the road being advertised that it's just some kind of a a medical proven method of healing. I want to tell you that you can be healed, my friends. You can be healed by a charm. But it's not of God. You open yourself to influences that will bring a darkness over your mind and a darkness over your spirit. There are many things I could mention where people have been involved with such things. Children often with Ouija boards and charms and various things. I could mention so many. Martial arts. The thing about it is, if we are being influenced or held back by something like that in our lives or the lives of our families, the Holy Spirit will be only too glad to point out where we're being held back. I have learned that. The Holy Spirit is only too glad to point out what needs dealt with. You see friends, the one key to going forward with God is hunger. Hunger. And the one thing that unbelief, unconfessed sins, traumas, unforgiveness or occult involvement will do is they will stifle hunger. They will permit you to have hunger for a time. And then eventually they'll screw in on you and they'll squeeze the hunger out of you. And people who were bright 10 years ago today are not in the house of God. People who were faithful to the prayer meeting who today have no desire for God or the things of God. This is because the enemy, by subtlety, got footholds into their lives. Don't ever believe that I couldn't, that couldn't be me. Don't ever believe and say, well, that'll not happen to me, Alan. I remember a lady many years ago telling me, she said, Alan, I don't know how anybody could ever turn their back on the Lord. Don't know how they could do it. But she did it. Just because you have light today doesn't mean you'll have light in a year's time. You see, friends, if you obey light, you'll get more. But if you neglect and switch off light you go into darkness. Light obeyed, increaseth light. Light rejected, bringeth night. The final area I want to close with is false covenants or false gods. I have to say over the last 15 to 20 years, one of the things that has amazed me most in meeting Christians... And praying with them and counselling them is the number of families of Christians who have been deeply impacted negatively by Freemasonry. If you're not aware of it today, I want to tell you that Freemasonry is a very bad organisation. There are 33 degrees that the Masons can, 32 rather, that they can take if they wish to carry up the ranks. Most people stop at one or two or three, but some go right up the ranks. And when you get to the top, if you're able to get to the top of the Freemasons, then you know, you are told, you understand that it's what's called an open Luciferian organization. The God of the Freemasons is a God called Jabulon. When a person joins the Freemasons, they say, I come from the darkness to the light. I have learned from experience that Freemasons are not bad men nor do they enter it with any intention of being bad. But I want to tell you that it brings significant curses on the families of those who join. There are a multiplicity of influences that come as a result of the curse of Freemasonry. There are multiple marriage breakdowns. There are often premature deaths in the family, generally in the early 20s or an early age. I cannot explain these things to you fully, nor do I have time this morning. But other than to tell you that the influence is always dark and always demonic. I want to thank God this morning that he can set people free. He can break these things. But you say, but Alan, when I became a Christian, the curse is broken. Well, you're absolutely right. When you came to Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in the book of Galatians 3, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse. But let me illustrate the point to you, friends. There are people who become Christians and they've still got a bad temper. And the temper breaks out and they know it's not right and it's not God glorifying Well, you could say to them, well, Christ has dealt with that. And you'd be absolutely right. Christ has dealt with our temper. That's all dealt with on the cross. By simple faith in him, our our temper can be brought under control as the Holy Spirit would fill us. He brings self-control. Well, you say, well, how is it then if I have received Christ that I've still got a bad temper? Because that's an area of your life that still has to be brought to the cross. That's an area that still requires healing. And so what you have to do as a Christian is you have to come to God and say, Lord, I'm really sorry that my life hasn't been given over to you and that these areas are out of control. And you yield it to God and yield yourself to God and you confess it and you ask God to forgive and to come and fill you with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is God will bring your temper under control. You see, dear friends, Christ has dealt with it. It's all dealt with. Everything regarding our Christian walk has been dealt with at the cross. But we have to appropriate it. We have to come by faith and claim it. If there's an area of our life out of control, we've got to bring that to the cross. And there may be areas in your life regarding something you've been involved in. Or some place you've been. Or even something that your family has been involved in that's really hindering you. I want to tell you that God can bring healing. I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to set the captive free. I want to tell you that you can move from a life of the natural into a life in the supernatural. Let me tell you a story as I close. Not that long ago, I met a lady who was coming to church in and out at the prayer meetings. A good lady. But she told me, Alan, I was really going nowhere. But I knew there was something holding me back. I knew I was bound. And she came. And we chatted over time and prayed. And God began to set that woman free. And he began to work in her heart and he began to release her spirit. And she began to sense God working in her and her prayer life just began to revolutionize as God became real. And she started to sense God speaking and she started to sense the battle that goes on spiritually around us. And God became more real and the earth and the things of the earth became less interesting to her. She came to see me and she said, Alan, a really interesting thing has happened in my life. And she began to cry and I said, well, tell me, what was it? She said, you know, I began to really sense that the enemy, the devil, was wanting to get a hold of my son. He's a Christian, but he's a bit wayward. And I felt the devil was wanting to get him and to get a hold of him. And she said, I so sensed it so strong, I got up during the night and I went down and I prayed and I cried to God, Lord, Lord, show me what's going on. What are you showing me, Lord? And she said, the Lord showed me that there was a fire, like a wall of fire mentioned in the Old Testament of God's presence around her home. But she said there was a dark presence that was trying to you know, come over the fire and reach in to the house. And she said, I began to plead with God that he would He would really cover our home, that he would really protect my son, that he would really save my children. And Lord, that He would he would do a wonderful thing for us. And she said, the more I prayed, the fire got bigger outside my home. And she said, I knew it was God's presence increasing around my home. But she said, I could still see this dark entity. That it was trying to see through the fire. And she said I had been. I didn't know hardly what I was doing. She said but I'd heard you praying. And she said I just said to the Lord. Lord this dark entity wants to do something on my child. And Lord I want to pray and see my child sealed. And I want his life saved, And I pray that you would send your angels Lord. And she said like that, she said these great white beings, I could see them coming. And she said they came down and they took a hold of this black entity and they just took it away. And she cried. She said, I'm telling you, I saw that. I said, I know. I know. She said people wouldn't believe that. I said, I know that because the church doesn't believe in the supernatural. Because Christians don't believe in God doing things like that. They don't believe that's possible in their lives. But I said that's the type of things happen whenever God is working in your life. When God becomes real and you're not interested in religion or legalism but in knowing God. You have listened so well and I'm way over my time. But my dear friends, if God has spoken to your heart, I want you to pray to him and talk to him. Because he's seeking you and he wants to help you and heal you and bless you. He really does. And your family and your children. I hope that you'll seek him with all your heart. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We pray that your word, Lord, would continue to abide in every heart. We pray, Lord, that you will give us desire to follow you and to walk with you in a new path. And I pray your blessing on the Lord's people today and on this work and on its outreach and all that they do. I ask this and give thanks for all your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.